Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Last week we had begun to look at the detail of Paul's address to the Athenians at Mars Hill, the Areopagites. He was preaching the doctrine of God, wasn't he? Teaching the ever so clever Athenians that the God who they did not know was the creator of heaven and earth. He began at the very beginning. He went right back to the doctrine of creation. Right back to that biblical account of how God created this world for his own glory in six literal days. And how he perfected this world when he made mankind. And we saw then that God not only created the world, but that he cares for it. He sustains it. And we reminded ourselves that God in and of himself did not create us because he wanted company or because he needed us. In fact, the very opposite is the case. We need him. We need God. We depend on him for absolutely everything. The God who made this earth owns the world. He does not need or want outward heartless worship. He wants me and you to yield in humble surrender to him. For the need that we have of God is not just for this life, but for eternity. So Paul moves on. And the natural progression of his dialogue with these people, his discourse, is that he will move from the doctrine of God to the doctrine of man. And he's going to talk to them about mankind. Let's see what he teaches them. And just for a change, I have only two points tonight. But don't get carried away. It doesn't mean it's going to be any shorter. All people are equal before God. And all people have a responsibility to seek the Lord. It's basically as simple as that. Let's look at our text. Verse 26. He says, And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. There's so much in that. And that simple sentence of Paul's. I mean, what we have here is Luke's account of Paul's address to the Areopagus. But I can't imagine that it's all of it. I can't imagine that the erudite Areopagites would want Paul to speak to them in about ten verses. You know, in about five or six minutes. I would imagine that they would want uh, a thorough exegesis. I would imagine that they would want him to talk to them for quite some time. And I would imagine that what 
Luke has done here in recording the history is to condense Paul's teaching into this little short account that we have here today as he worked under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so in this verse 26, we may have much more uh, as we begin to parse it. God hath made of one blood all nations of men. All people are created equal before God. All are equal. Um, Peter said so too. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, remember, he said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Paul said it in Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, that there is no form of partiality with God. Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, there is no respect of persons with God. We often teach children that. God is no respecter of persons. We teach them that God doesn't look just on the outward appearance, but he looks especially in the heart. What does that mean? There are people today who would think that that actually means that God is not terribly concerned about how we live our lives on the outward, in the outward sense, that he's more concerned about what our hearts are like. Are you a good person at heart? Because that's what God's interested in. That's what you will hear people saying. So it doesn't matter, of course, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, whether you're a believer or whether you're not, whether you're gay or straight or Muslim or Buddhist or rich or poor or a criminal or a drug addict. And there are parts of the visible church who would tell you tonight that you can come to Christ just as you are, and because God is no respecter of persons, he will respect your sexuality, and he will respect your preferences, and he will respect your individuality, and all of that stuff. Now, that couldn't be further from the truth. Paul set the record straight for us right here in Athens. He talks about the oneness of humanity. In God's eyes, we are all the same. We are all sinners before God, every one of us. Just as when I, I, I wrote this wee message a few weeks ago, and um, just as I was writing it, I was uh, hearing news of uh, the radio interview that Harry and Meghan had done with Oprah Winfrey. Of Oprah, is that her name? Oprah Winfrey. And apparently they had accused someone in the palace of querying the skin colour of their baby boy, Archie or before it was born, asking, I wonder what its skin colour would be like. And apparently, too, Archie hasn't been given, given the title prince, and that they seemed to think that was because he was what they call mixed race. Well, I don't know what that means. You could never tell because, as Meghan Markle then told Oprah Winfrey, that was her truth. You see... 
And, and her truth is her truth, and you can have your truth, and she can have her truth, and everybody can have their own truth, and her truth is all for her. I, I don't, so we don't actually know what she was talking about, because that's her truth, whatever that is. I know we, we know that racism exists in society, don't we? I have no doubt that it goes right to the top of the so-called upper classes. But did you know that Charles Darwin, who's the author of the book Origin of Species and the great proponent of the theory of evolution was truly racist. He was. He believed that white people, he actually believed that white people were further along the path of evolution than black people were. And his so-called scientific textbook, if you actually read the original title, is called The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favoured Races in the Struggle for Life. Now, what more racist title could you have than that? Do you know that the American abortionist who set up Planned Parenthood in the USA, Margaret Sanger, was a racist. Did you know that she believed in eugenics? Do you know that she believed that black people had to be stopped from breeding? And yet right now there are people who ignore those simple facts and who would accuse Christians of being racists. Nothing can be further from the truth. Christian believers, especially evangelical Christians, can never, ever be racist because it says right here in God's word that we all came from one blood. If you believe that God created man, if you believe in the story of Adam and Eve as a literal event as Jesus believed in it, and as we must believe in it, then you must believe that every one of us has the same original parents. And if so, the amount of melanin in our skins is irrelevant. We're all from the one parents. He hath made of one blood all the nations in the world. We're all the children of Adam and Eve. Now that's a good thing because that combats what the world sees today as racism. But it also means that every one of us in God's eyes have inherited Adam's sin and Adam's misery. And it is in that sense that we are equal before God. Equal before God in our state of sinfulness. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus sin spread to all men, because all have sinned. We are equal before God in that we are all sinners. We're equal before God in that we all have a responsibility to repent of our sins. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
equal in that Christ died for sinners on the cross. Equal in the sense that his atoning death is sufficient in its breadth to cover the sins of every single sinner who will come to him regardless of their racial ethnicity. He is the propitiation for our sins, says John in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Careful now with that one. If you want to know about the effectual call, um, this week's online catechism class will be dealing with the subject of the effectual call of God. And you can find that on your podcast app on your phone, or you can find it on Anchor FM. And that comes out about Tuesday or Wednesday. And we're dealing with the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 7. Am I allowed to do advertisements in the middle of a service? It's okay, because you get it for free. Equal in responsibility. Equal in that Christ died for sinners. Equal in heavenly praise. Do you know when we get to heaven... We will see, realize the words of Revelation 5 and verse 9, where it says, They sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. In heaven there'll be black people and white people. People and people of every race and nation will be there, brothers and sisters together, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, praising the Lord who won us back from darkness. God has made of one blood all the nations of men. Christians, true Christians, saved by God's grace can never be. But God not only declares our oneness, but it is he who determines our lifespan. Look at the next phrase. He has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed. Remember last week we talked about being on a divine life support system. That it is God who grants us life and breath and all things. And that the minute he withdraws that support, our lives will come to an end and we will go into eternity. And we mentioned in passing that God has the date of that termination of life already appointed for us. The psalmist declares, my times are in thy hand. A number of years ago, I attended the funeral of a friend who had died of cancer, stomach cancer, in his mid-40s. His young wife and his two young children sitting up at the front of the church. Preacher in the pulpit stood up and he said, Some will say 
that our brother has died prematurely. Some will speak of his untimely death. But I want you to know that his death was not premature and it was not untimely. Our brother died when the Lord in his wisdom and his sovereign will decided that it was time to leave this world and go to his heavenly reward. Job, afflicted and troubled, said, Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not, seeing his days are determined. The number of his months are with thee, and hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. God has our time led out for us. It is appointed unto men once to die. Appointment is made. He talks about the oneness of humanity. And he talks about how God has predetermined our times. And he even talks about how God determines the politics of this world. And I think that's something we need to remember in this day and age. Look at what it says. He talks about here how God has appointed the bounds of their habitation. <laughs> Isn't that topical? When the EU has made a land grab in Northern Ireland. I'm not allowed to talk about that. I, I, I don't do politics in the pulpit. But if you're worried about the Northern Ireland Protocol, or you're worried about the new Irish sea border, and it certainly is something that's causing great concern, and many people are highly agitated by this uh, assault on our constitutional status. But for the believer, remember that politicians and earthly authorities do not have the control of history. It is the Lord who determines our boundaries and the boundaries of nations. The politicians ultimately are not in charge. Whatever happens, it is the Lord who is in control. Not the men and the women who hold the reins of power. Remember the, remember the vision of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, whenever the world was in political turmoil and chaos, and Uzziah the king had passed away, and there was all sorts of machinations going on in the palace trying to appoint the new king. When a king in ancient Israel or any of those ancient lands died, there was always jostling for position. There was always some usurper coming up. There was always the political turmoil that went with a change of regime. But yet Isaiah, worshipping God and in the temple, said in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. The EU don't hold the reins of power. The Lord is on his throne. He determines the habitation, the boundaries of our habitations. And his throne is everlasting. 
all people are equal before God in the sense that we are all sinners, regardless of our race and our status or our color or our intellectual ability or our qualifications. We're equal, but we're not all the same because God ordains our lifetimes and the boundaries of our lives. Secondly, all people have a responsibility to seek the Lord, everyone. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. I think Paul must have probably startled the philosophers of Athens when he quoted one of their own poems in verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He's using that the way I would use an illustration. I don't want you to think that Paul gives any divine authority to a pagan poet. But since he's given me permission to do it here, I'm going to do it too. I'm going to quote a Greek poet to you in a moment. We're created to seek the Lord. God wants us to reach out to him, to our creator. The psalmist in Psalm 19 reminds us of that, the psalm we sang for our opening worship. Or did we? Psalm 119. Got a bit mixed up there. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Paul later makes that same point to the Romans and that passage that we read from Romans chapter 1. He says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We're created to seek the Lord, every one of us. So why don't we? Do you understand? Why don't we? Well, here's why. Look at verse 27 again that they might seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him. Now that's very important. And that's the reference to the Greek poetry. The reason we can't seek the Lord is because we are in darkness. Spiritual darkness. That darkness involves two factors. The first of those is spiritual darkness. Now, there's a very, very interesting use of words here. Paul speaks of how these pagans might um, feel for him. The word kind of means grope for him. Search by touch. Salafeo is the Greek word. It's used in Luke 24. Do you know where Jesus said to Thomas, Behold my hands and my feet. And then he says, Touch, handle me, selafeo, or selafeo, handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me hath. That's the same word. Reach out and touch. Now, Paul's been very, very clever here. The philosophers at Mars Hill would have known that word very well, for it features in Homer's poetry. 
as one of your own poets has said. Do you ever read the Odyssey? Homer's Odyssey, one of the, part of the great Homeric tradition of Greece. Well, you see, whenever I was a wee boy, my mummy and daddy realised that I wasn't much interested in playing football uh, or anything like that. And my father said to me one time, what use are you ever going to be to anybody? You'll never get a trade. Because what use is a big lad that just sits and reads books all day? You see. So in order to try and placate me, he bought this set of encyclopedias from a door-to-door salesman. I don't know where they went. I'd like to know. One of them was a book of uh, Greek history and, and, and Greek epics. And there was the stories of ancient Greece. And you'll have heard of the Trojan horse and the Battle of Troy and Helen of Troy. And then the long journey back, the Odyssey back. And that's part of the story. Now, this is that way, this is relevant. At one point in the journey, the fleet commanded by Odysseus is captured by an ogre. This is only stories. But it's captured by an ogre, a giant man-eating ogre called Polyphemus. And Polyphemus was a thing called a cyclops. And if you've ever seen a picture of a cyclops, I was reading about this when I was about eight. A cyclops had only one eye, right in the middle of his head. All right. Now, the cyclops captured Odysseus and his ships. And he brought them and he put them in a cave, in a dark cave where they couldn't see anything. And he planted himself at the gate so that they could, the door of the cave, so they couldn't get out. And his intention was to eat them. He'd eat three of them already. But then Odysseus discovered what everybody knows about Cyclopses. They're very fond of the drink. So Odysseus said to Cyclops, to Polyphemus, I've got alcohol in my ship. If you let me go, I'll go down to my ship and I'll bring up the drink and you can have it all. Cyclops couldn't resist it. So he went down, uh, Odysseus, and he he got the drink and he brought it up and he gave it to the Cyclops And Polyphemus drank it and got drunk. And while he was getting drunk, the sailors in the cave found a big stick. They sharpened it and they stuck it into his eye. And Odysseus woke in a rage. Not only now had he lost the chance of eating all these sailors, but now he's blind as well. And the Homeric tradition uses this very same word to talk about this ogre in his anger, feeling around the cave, groping along the walls, trying to find the men, trying to catch them. He's searching even though he cannot see. He's groping. And that's the word that Paul's using here. That's why Paul is saying and making reference to one of your own poets. They would have cast their minds right back to what they'd learned. Here they are. 
and it means something to them. These men of Athens, these great scholars of Athens are like the wounded, blinded ogre groping around in the cave, already in the darkness, in double darkness, in the blackness of the cave and in the blindness of their blinded minds, unsuccessfully, futilely, frustratingly looking for what they can't find. Is that a good enough description of sinful mankind? Because Paul says in Romans 21, Romans 1 and 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was lest happily they might feel after him, feeling and groping in the darkness with all those idols in the city of Athens. They can't find the God who created them. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 3, If our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I said there was two aspects to this. We're in darkness because we are groping around in spiritual blindness. But we're also in darkness because of the stubbornness of our sinful hearts, which makes us reluctant even to grope for God. Even though we're in the midst of the awful darkness of sin and we're required to seek after the Lord, we're even so stubborn, we don't even want find the way out of darkness. It's not bad enough that we have to grope for God in this darkness, the darkness of sin, but we don't even want to do it. We know that there's a creator. We know it in our hearts. Creation tells us. We know that if there's a creation around us, there must be a creator. We know that there's an end coming to this life. We watch funerals. We watch hearses. I I live at Ballygown. I can't drive down the road through the day without seeing hearses, a parade of them every half hour going in and out of Roselawn, reminded of death every time I drive to Belfast. We know there's an end coming to this life. And still in the stubbornness of our hearts, we don't want to seek the God who can rescue us. So Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 11, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. What's the point of having a seeker-sensitive service anyway? And the Bible clearly tells us that we can't seek the Lord. We're groping around in the darkness. And yet, look at verse 27 again. 
despite the fact that we're in darkness and we can't find the Lord, even if we wanted to. He's not far from every one of us. That's the good news tonight. For those sinners whom God has begun the work of conversion in, where the Holy Spirit has begun a work convicting you and convincing you of your sin, where the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes and revealed Calvary to you. Salvation is at hand. It's, it's here. You just reach out and take it. How ironic that we are groping around for God and he is right beside us, right to hand, not far away in the gospel. Jesus, God's sinless son, came into this world to save guilty sinners, died on the cross, bore that dreadful eternal punishment that was my due, that I have earned and deserved for my sinfulness and my rebellion and paid my penalty and my fine and I'm set free from the punishment and eternal wrath that's due to me. Where do you find God? He's here. He's with us. The kingdom of God is at hand. Don't find God in a statue or an idol like the Athenians did. You don't even have to go to the Holy Land and visit Jerusalem. You don't need to go on a pilgrimage like the Muslims do to Mecca or the Catholics do at Lourdes or Santiago de Compostela or Medjugorje in Bosnia or Nokshrine in, in County Mayo. You don't even have to go to a church. You don't even have to go to a tent mission. You don't need to do any of those things or go to any of those places. For in him we live and move and have our being. The Lord is with us, giving us life and breath and everything. Maybe tonight, as we have thought about the blindness, the darkness and the stubbornness of our hearts, the responsibility that every one of us has before life expires to seek the Lord while he may be found. Maybe tonight if the Lord is speaking to us and drawing us sinners to Calvary, we could reach out to him in repentance, simple faith, Trust Christ. It's as simple as that. Faith is like a mustard seed. Tiny. Reach out to Jesus. Accept him. Saviour and Lord. He's here. And he wants you to come.